Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Today we are talking with Karen Brackett, founder of Tennessee Against Common Core, Tennessee Citizens for State Sovereignty and Withdrawal UN. Karen Bracken from Bristol, Tennessee. How are you today, madam? Great. How are you, Steve? Doing great. It's a bit loud. I'm a little bit out of my comfort zone here doing this live from uh, this hotel, but we are going to do this because the show must go on. Uh, first of all, tell us how, uh, for those who don't know, tell us a little bit about Bristol, Tennessee and how much you love it. Well, it's the, the home of NASCAR racing, I believe, uh, the Bristol Raceway. And uh, I love it there. I'm, I've been there for about five years. It's a very nice, friendly place to live. And you are from uh, out of state originally. Uh, what brought you to Tennessee? Well, um, I was born in Philadelphia, raised in New Jersey. And when I retired, we moved to Florida and really didn't like it that much except for the weather and we moved to tennessee about 15 years ago so and i love it here i i won't i won't be leaving tennessee <laughs> yeah you came home to tennessee just like i did just didn't know it when we were born that it would be our place um tell me what activated you to get you so interested in things like nullification I'm sorry, I didn't get that. What activated you to, to find an interest in things like nullification? Okay, well, um, you know, I've been an activist for probably 20 years now. I started out with a national group educating people on UN Agenda 21. And um, I knew that one of the ways that the UN would change the culture of our country was through education of our children. So that got me involved in uh, Common Core when Race to the Top came down from President Obama and got involved with basically lecturing, fighting, writing legislation, pounding the halls of the Capitol in Nashville, trying to get Common Core repealed in Tennessee. And um, when, when ESSA got passed, um, Every Student Succeeds Act, which was sponsored by Lamar Alexander from Tennessee. Uh, once that happened, I knew the fight for Common Core was over. It, it, you know, we weren't going to ever get it repealed. Uh, so I kind of turned my sights to other things. And with all the assaults that are coming down on our country right now from the WHO and every which away, our own government, um, you know, a lot of groups, what they're doing is, you know, they're trying to fight all of these issues individually and really nothing ever gets accomplished. Nullification addresses a lot of those individual issues in in one, you know I mean? If we, if, we, if we invoke nullification, it can be invoked in a multitude of sins against the federal government. Yeah, and it's a complex issue that has a 360 degree, obviously, angle. So I'm gonna try my best to bring in your three core uh, institutions, let's say, or your activism that you've done and make sense out of it and see if it all tiles in together on what we can do about it. Um, it was not long ago, 2016, that Tennessee education officials approved the New English and Math Standards, uh, marking the symbolic end of controversial Common Core standards in Tennessee. That's the way it was reported. 
How do you see it? That's not true at all. It's not true. All they did was they took the schematic of, of Common Core because, you know, the, the standards under Common Core had a, a, a numbering schematic. They took that schematic and they changed it all around, made it look different, gave it a new title. They did a few little tweaks here and there. Um, but at the time I was working with two of the best well-known standard writers in the world, really, Sandra Stotsky from Massachusetts and um, Dr. Milgram from California. Dr. Milgram was an expert in mathematical standards and Sandra Stotsky was an expert in the English standards. And when our State Board of Education passed the new Tennessee standards, I sent them to each one of those experts and they verified that they were common core. They said that in the places that we did make changes, they were even worse than common core. And they said as bad as common core was, we made it worse. <laughs> so I took all of that feedback. I sent it out to all of our legislators. Um, I think I heard back from one legislator. That was it. But no, Common Core has never left the state of Tennessee. All they did was change the name and they swished around the schematic, made a few little tweaks here and there, and that's it. But if you look at all of our books, testing, everything still has the Common Core label on it. Not unlike taking a toll lane and making it a choice lane. You still got to pay it one way or the other. It just changed the name. Okay, well, so fast forward to 2022. Williamson County is supposedly the best county for schools in the state. At least that's what the TCAP scores would tell you. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But a local parent advocacy group filed a lawsuit claiming Williamson County Schools' adoption, implementation, and enforcement of the wit and wisdom curriculum violated Tennessee state law. Plaintiffs believe state laws concerning the teaching of critical race theory and common core were violated, as well as policies concerning curriculum review and adoption processes at the state and county levels. So was it not ended in 16 and just like you said, implemented and is 2022 that lawsuit going to change anything? Have you ever heard of it? Is there no. hope? No, I, I don't know of that group, and I really don't. I'm not familiar with that lawsuit, um, but, you know, I, I can say that they do use wit and wisdom in Tennessee. I don't know that it's all schools, but I do know that they do use the, use it. Uh, I believe Sullivan County, where I live, uh, some of the schools do use wit and wisdom. Um, and is wit and wisdom uh, coming for by another name like you were describing? Yeah. Common Core is just a woke program. It's like DEI. It's like critical race theory. It's just another uh, woke program. Right? Where Common Core is a set of education standards. Okay. So within within the Common Core umbrella, wit and wisdom was tucked in there as a euphemism for bad teaching. <laughs> It's just a hang on. Yeah, it's just like it's just like DEI. It's just like SEL, social emotional learning, you know, all of these things that they just kind of uh, are embedding in our schools. Okay. So Tennessee's public schools were once largely a, a bipartisan issue at the school board level. That changed two years ago. We're currently in a new election cycle for school board. How did education policy get so polarized? little history lesson, I guess, how we got here. Well, you know, I, 
you got to go all the way back to the creation of the U.S. Department of Education, which was unconstitutional to begin with. Um, you know, I believe that once you have the federal government controlling anything, it never runs as efficiently, economically, as if the state would just do it themselves. So, I mean, you know, it goes all the way back. It goes back further than the Department of Education, but I believe that's the, the biggest pivotal point uh, in the destruction of education in, in all states, not just Tennessee. So I tried to phrase this correctly. You are the expert. I am just a question guy. But in my mind, there is an element of nullification that has to do with also being able to send money back to D.C. saying we'll do it our way. The Department of Education, uh, NIH, uh, all the alphabet suits that come out of D.C., come, their money comes with strings attached. Cameron Sexton, who's the Speaker of the House in Tennessee, has said out loud that he would like to give that money back and Tennessee can go their own way. That relates somewhat to this new idea of vouchers for all students, universal, that will help private, whatever, whatever. What is, what is your thought on what they're doing right now about Department of Education funding and Tennessee schooling with the rollout of charters and the private schools getting some of this money, which is obviously a church state issue, et cetera, et cetera. How do you phrase this and how do you win a battle against with nullification if this is going to have to be free public school for all? like the Constitution said, or whatever, the Department of Education said. Right, and, and Speaker Sexton had talked about getting us out of the Department of Education. Uh, there was some information saying that Governor Lee supported that. Um, but if that is true, why is there a big push for vouchers? If you're gonna get us out of the Department of Education and we're going to work to make our school system as, as good as it can be, the best that it can be, why do you need vouchers? So it's a very conflicting uh, argument that's going on right now. And we're really not hearing anything about getting out of the Department of Education anymore. Right now, it just seems to be vouchers, vouchers, vouchers. And to me, that's the, they're taking the low road. They're trying to, again, address education by moving children around from this school to that school, charter school, vouchers, private school. And they're never really addressing the issue as to why our children in Tennessee, only 40% of our children read at a third grade level. That is a disgrace. That's a disgrace. So it's very obvious that throwing money at the situation is not the answer. Moving children around from their public school in their neighborhood to a charter school, you know, an hour away, where a charter school is a public school. So, you know, this choice, giving parents choice, what you're giving parents is a false choice. They're getting a choice of location. They're not getting a choice of what their children are taught. Um, so again, it's a false choice. What we need to do is get this state out from under the thumb of the federal government, and we need to implement the best education policies we can. You know, prior to Bill Clinton, we didn't have education standards. Right. We had goals. You know, by the time you graduate high school, this is what you need to do. You need to be able to do math. You need to be able to spell. You need to be able to um, do arithmetic. And every child, you know, that's the problem with Common Core is they say every child at five years old must know how to do this. Well, if you've got children and if you've got more than one child, you you know that 
every child learns at a different pace. You know, one child may learn to read at four years old, where another child might not read, be able to read until they're seven years old. So when you say that every child must accomplish the same thing at the same age, that's like saying every man has to weigh 150 pounds. Well, that's ridiculous, right? That's ridiculous. But it's not ridiculous when we're expecting all of our children to learn a certain thing at a certain age. And then you make them feel like a failure when they don't meet that bar by a certain age. Because the teachers are penalized when they don't accomplish that goal. Unions don't like that. And so is that what No Child Left Behind was under George W. Bush? Yep, it was, you so know, it every, goes back ways. Uh, every program that's come out from Bill Clinton down to Bush, down to Obama, you know, again, you know, Ronald Reagan promised when he ran, uh, I'm a great grandmother four and a half times over. So I've been around a long time. And, uh, you know, he ran on getting the United States out of the Department of Education. At the time, we had only been there two years. The department had only been functioning for two years. And uh, it was Lamar Alexander that convinced him, oh, you know, let's not get rid of it. Let's just tweak it. We'll make it better. And somehow he convinced him to, to do that. And here we are. So uh, Governor Bill Haslam authorized a review of the state's English and math standards. Lee ran on the 10 for Tennessee list of campaign promises and school choice was one of them. Okay. Have you looked at his new proposals and do you think they help or hurt schools in Tennessee? Like you said, two thirds can't read at grade level and two cap scores are really bad. They just graded schools A through F and over 50% got C's or below. And I'm not confident the A's and B's got true grades, like it worse. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts on what they're trying to do and what it's going to do for the future? Well, I mean, it's it's Governor Lee now, not Governor Haslam. And, uh, you know, Governor Lee just seems to be all wrapped up right now in vouchers. And, you know, again, that is not the answer. It's not, you know, we've been... They talk about, well, if you take us out of the Department of Education, we're going to lose all this money and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and, and the, the poor children, they're going to lose out. Well, you know what? We've been giving money for the poor children for a long time since Lyndon Johnson to learn how to read. And our the poor children are dumber today than they were 50 years ago. So somebody needs to realize that money is not the answer. We need to get down to basics of education, good education. You know, Sandra Stotsky, uh, Massachusetts prior to Common Core was always the number one in the NAEP results in the country. And they were that way for years. And it was because of Dr. Sandra Stotsky. And she offered every state while we were fighting common core she was part of that fight and she offered every state to adopt the massachusetts standards if they had to adopt standards to adopt the massachusetts standards she would give them to the states for free and um you know so there was an alternative and it was a much better alternative than what what we chose but understand what tennessee chose in common core had a 535 million dollar payout Yes. And Tennessee, Tennessee and Delaware were the first two states to get awarded money from the race to the top competition. 
and Tennessee adopted the new standards before the standards were even written. They never saw them. They never read them. All they saw was $535 million. And it is time that we stop selling out our children for federal money. Amen. Um, let's digress for a second. Uh, are you still working with David Vance, your co-founder? Can you tell us about him? Yes, he's, he's my partner. I've known David for a long time. Uh, we've worked on other issues in the past. Um, I find him to be a, a terrific guy, very honest, very open, um, somebody that I know I could trust. And uh, when I put this organization together, I knew that, you know, I couldn't do this alone. So I contacted Dave and I asked him if he would partner with me and he was thrilled to do so. And he's been a, a great uh, contribution to this effort. And I think we made a, we've made a good team, Dave and I. And he also has a, a radio show that he started, or a podcast, or like what you do, um, that he started when we started this organization called Tennessee Informer. And he interviews, he's had Chris Ann Hall, he's had Alex Newman, uh, lots of Tennessee legislators. Um, you know, it's really, it's a good show. It really is a good show. All right, I'll have to get him on here too. Uh, Tennessee Citizens for State Sovereignty, tncss.weebly.com. The federal government has overstepped its constitutional authority for years, and the American people have allowed them to do it. Now it is the job of we the people to rein them back in, your website says. Um, how has the government overstepped? I mean, it's pretty clear. We do shows on it every day, but uh, from your perspective, and do you see the we the people actually reining them back in or with voter apathy you see them actually not well part of the problem not the solution well you know one of the things that i did when i put this organization together of course we sign up members to tncss on tncss.substack.com but what i also did was i reached out to other grassroots groups in tennessee and ask them to partner with us. So when I send out information to my members, that information also goes to the leaders of these other grassroots groups and they share that information with their members. Um, we had an issue uh, on Tuesday on a particular piece of legislation and we hit them with about 10,000 emails and phone calls in that one day. So uh, I do believe that the people are have had enough. And I believe with the right leadership, they're, they're willing to step up and, and fight for, for our freedom because they see the freedom being washed down the drain. And like I said, with the WHO amendments to the international health regulations, the pandemic treaty that they're gonna be voting on in May of 2024, uh, they are a direct threat to the sovereignty of this country, and our government is 100% behind these two initiatives. So, yes, I believe the citizens are engaged. I believe they're ready, and I believe with the right leadership, the right legislation, um, we're going to get some things done. We're going to get some things changed. Uh, you say on your site, uh, our state doesn't need legislation to invoke nullification or use right. the anti-commandeering doctrine. There's a smoother legal process for nullification. What is that smoother way? 
Well, uh, anti-commandeering is something that, you know, has been around for a long time. Basically, all anti-commandeering is, is the state saying to the federal government, we will not give you any resources, human resources, financial resources to implement certain policies, rules, regulations in our state. That's all anti-commandeering is. We're just saying we're not going to support you financially or provide any resources for you in our state. Um, nullification, uh, in 2021, the Tennessee Assembly passed SJR 9005, supporting the act of nullification. What our legislation is doing here in 2024 is establishing a process in which to invoke nullification when the federal government steps outside of its constitutional lane. And there's five different pathways in which we can invoke nullification. And it starts with the governor, the assembly, a state judge, a combination of 10 cities and counties, or a petition from the people with 2,000 signatures. And one of the nice parts about this bill is that it does not go to a committee. Once a bill of nullification has been issued, it does not go to a committee, because we all know bills go to committees to die. It goes directly to the House for a vote, a full House. It goes directly to the full Senate for a vote. Um, so there is no chance of it being killed in the in a committee. Um, so that's what the bill is. Uh, one nice, also one nice part about the bill is the first nine pages, it's 12 pages long. The first nine pages of the bill is what we call a purpose statement. And it basically cites all the constitutional reasons why we have the authority and the right to do what we're doing. And it's it's an excellently written bill. Uh, Jeff Cobble, who's a lawyer here in Tennessee, he's also one of our consultants. He actually wrote this legislation. So I think you just tipped off a little bit of what my next question is. So Janice Bowling had a Senate Bill 2058 would effectively set up a legislative committee to protect against federal infringement of the constitutional rights of the state. The 10 members state sovereignty committee would be authorized to receive input, advice, and assistance from quote, interested and affected persons and parties who are not part of the Tennessee General Assembly. That doesn't sound like the answer to the question. That's not that's not the bill that, that I'm representing. It's it's a bill sponsored by Senator Bowling and it's SB 2775. And the House bill is HB 2795, and it's sponsored by Bud Halsey. Okay, so this one was opposed by Adam Lowe, uh, but it's also Janice Bowling. So I wonder if yeah. she's just no, trying no, no. two tracks. No. It's, okay. it's Adam Lowe and Representative Doggett have this is bill. The one that you like. That's the bill you like. No, no, I don't. Oh, you no. don't like that one either? Okay. The, the Adam Lowe bill is what I call a Trojan horse bill. It's a bill that that's out there to kill this bill. Adam Lowe does not does not support nullification. Uh, he has told me that himself. I believe that his bill is SB 2058. And um, it, it, it creates a committee, you know, and, and I've been down this road before when they want to kill legislation, they'll create another bill that, oh, we're going to form a committee. And that bill gets passed because the governor is generally behind that bill. That bill gets passed. And then what happens is the committee never happens. It just fades into the sunset. 
So the bill that we are supporting, it is an excellent bill. And believe me, if, if SB 2058 was a good nullification bill, I'd be behind it. You know, I don't care if there's six bills out there, as long as they're good, strong bills with teeth in them that is going to protect the sovereignty of the people of the state of Tennessee. That bill, SB 2058, is not that bill. So, right. So I, if, I, if I did my homework wrong, it's not the Janice Bowling bill, whereas I had it was the Janice Bowling bill opposed by Adam Lowe. But no, it's the Adam Lowe bill probably opposed by Janice Bowling, which makes more sense because she's the <laughs> right. Um, is it, but does that, okay. And you, what was the one that you said is the right one? I need to Okay, the, the, the bills that we're supporting are HB 2795, and it's sponsored by Representative Bud Holsey. Yep. And the Senate bill is SB 2775, sponsored by Janice Bowling. Got it. All right. Just I know it's confusing. It's confusing. Yeah. Well, these numbers, you know, we're not into math on this show. I can't, I, can't, I can't do graphics. Um, You know, when the Seattle Police Department pushed back on the feds, they got slammed. Steve can attest to this. They got slammed with a consent decree. And back then, it was Eric Holder's just smart that called the shots for many years, leading to, well, what we've seen in the news. Higher crime, a mess, morale is super low. They basically nationalized the police department. Do you think D.C. and Biden's DOJ under Merrick Garland would seek revenge if Tennessee actually did what you say we should do? I'm sorry that your question broke up. Uh, do you think the Department of Justice would be vindictive and seek revenge on Tennessee if they actually got had success with the nullification type bill where we told Tennessee or told DC to get out. And and they may, they probably would. I mean, they're suing us all the time. <laughs> you know, we're used to it. Uh, you know, we just passed legislation that uh, refuses to allow minors to have their bodies mutilated. Uh, and, 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 you know, the federal government is, is challenges challenging us on that. But, you know, uh, I think Attorney General Skirmetti is a good guy. He's got a strong backbone, and he appears to be the kind of attorney general that will stand up and, and fight for what he knows is right. And, uh, you know, as long as we can prove that something is unconstitutional, there's no argument. There's no argument. Take us to court. You know, I mean... Yeah, as long as the courts are fair. You wisely said um, on your website, we can't wait for the next election to confront our border invasion, ESG, CBDC, the WHO pandemic treaty. You are right, um, but here it is the next election. Uh, did you see anything done in the General Assembly last year, the special session last summer, or in this current session pending besides that bill uh, with two months left in the session? that could actually move the needle the way you would like it to? Well, I mean, if we get this bill passed, <laughs> once it's passed and once it's effective, you know, um, I'll have to look here on, I think it's effective immediately on passage. Yes, it, this act takes effect upon becoming a law, the public welfare requiring it. So once this bill becomes uh, law, the moment they step out of line, we're start we're going to start to dig in, and fight back, and, and we so can also to get behind two seven nine five. Yep, you know, and we can right, also write your back. legislators. I'm sorry. 
I just said everybody should write their legislatures and say we support 2795 and 50 C out of our stuff. Right. That's it. Awesome. You know, it's uh, it, it is time that our legislators did their job. And I'll, I'm going to read to you something uh, by Thomas Jefferson. And it says the several states who formed that instrument, meaning the Constitution, being sovereign and independent, have the unquestionable right to judge of its infraction, and that a nullification by those sovereignties of all unauthorized acts done under color of that instrument is the rightful remedy. And it's not only our right to do it, it is our duty and our responsibility to do it. Our founding also sovereignty- said that the Tennessee Constitution was the most Republican of them all, so if anyone was going to do it of the 50, it should be us. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, you have an event coming up called Why Nullification Matters. That's Saturday. Today is Thursday, Wednesday. Plenty of time to make your weekend plans. Kristen Hall, Chris Ann Hall is your keynote speaker. What can you tell us about Chris Ann and that event in Mount Juliet? It's it's in Mount Juliet, Saturday, the 24th of February. Uh, we do have a few seats left and it is a free event. So you're going to come out and you're going to get educated on nullification and the Constitution. Uh, she, uh, Chris Ann Hall is a very, very passionate. Uh, she's a lawyer from Florida. She's a uh, retired um, from the Army as a Russian linguist. She's a biochemist. She is uh, a minister's wife. She is a missionary. She's a patriot, all wrapped up in a very tiny little package. So if you get to run into her at, at the NRB, because I know she was there yesterday, um, but she's just, uh, I, I knew her when I was in Florida. She was a district attorney or assistant district attorney, or she worked for the district attorney. And she was giving constitution classes to the Tea Party groups in Florida. And she was told by her boss that she had to stop giving the constitution classes, which of course she refused to do. He fired her, she sued him, she won, and she's been ever since traveling the country, educating people on the constitution. And she is excellent, excellent. Wow. All right, so for those that don't know, uh, you have this withdrawal UN substack. You say the UN has created, was created to destroy America and drive global communism. Um, give us a brief history of the formation of the UN and how it's become a communist takeover. And at Karen Bracken substack, I saw one of your uh, uh, articles about electric vehicles. I want to talk about that after you tell me about that. Okay, well, that withdrawal UN uh, substack is as old as the hills. If you look at it, I haven't put anything on there for a long time. Um, I do believe that we should withdraw from the UN. Uh, Everything that we see today stems from the UN Agenda 21, everything. And that's as much as I'm going to say on the subject because I could go on for two hours. Um, It is a deep rabbit hole. And everything, like I said, that we see is a product of UN Agenda 21, Mm -hmm. which in 2015, UN Agenda 21 was renamed the 2030 Agenda, the Great Reset, the Green New Deal, all its Agenda 21. And if you study Agenda 21 and what it's all about, it is is the destruction of private property. Uh, It is 
you know, it's just taking away all of our liberties and freedoms, controlling every aspect of humanity, everything. So, you know, again, I could go on for two hours on that subject. It's um, yeah, we'll have you back another time. If you yeah, have, but the, but it, the, we've done shows. The UN hasn't been a force for good for a long time. No, Corruption, no, rape, child trafficking, now leadership, kidnapping and money for October 7th attack on Israel. The tunnels right under UN headquarters in Gaza funded by UNRWA, whatever you would call it, with taxpayer dollars, U.S. taxpayer dollars. Um. You, you think we're winning the globalists? Uh, uh, do you think we might be winning the battle against the globalists? And then I'll ask you about the wall in a second. Well, I know Excuse they're me. nervous. I know they're nervous. Uh, there's a lot of people waking up and, you know, they are nervous. And when they get nervous, what they do is just start relabeling stuff <laughs> so that so that you think it went away. But all they really did was relabel it. But I do believe they're nervous because we have people all over the world that's fighting against what's going on with the World Economic Forum, uh, with uh, the WHO, the WHO, and of course, it all stems from the United Nations. So I saw, like I said, one of your articles on electric vehicles. Um, near you is the cobalt mine. I think uh, Tennessee has 15 mines in some form of production. Cobalt is goes in the EV batteries, but dirty, dirty, polluting stuff. Mm -hmm. Forward and GM are big employers near Memphis and Cool Springs in Columbia, Tennessee, the fastest growing city in the state. What do you make of the tax breaks Tennessee gives its farmers? Well, if I was governor, I wouldn't give them any tax breaks at all. But you, know, you want to come here, you want to do business, you want to make profit, and you will uh, with a lot less regulation that you're going to face in a lot of other states, a uh, much lower tax base then you know you believe you pay your fair share like everybody else does you know well there'll be an open seat here in two and a half years and uh, you know you'd be the right karen not the karen you know, that people, would make fun of on the people like me don't get elected to those kind of offices they don't want they don't want real good american constitutional conservatives well i'd love to i'd love to believe that tennessee is the only state that can actually turn around that's why i came here and i'd love to end this on a positive note so maybe you and give us some hope for the future of America and Tennessee. Can you give us a little good news to hang our hopes on? Well, you know, again, uh, the people of Tennessee are what makes Tennessee good, not the government. Um, we have our issues here with the government, just like every other state, probably not as bad as like California or New Jersey or Pennsylvania. Um, we have some really, really, really good legislators here. We just don't have enough of them. Um, but you know, like I said, it's the people here in this state that, to me, make this state a wonderful place to be. And I believe when the rubber meets the road, you're going to see how great the people of Tennessee really are. Um, and, and we do have hope. We can't lose hope. You know, we have to keep plugging away. I will not ever give up. Never. Until they put me six feet in the ground. I have, like I said, children. I have four grandchildren. And I have four and a half one on the way, great grandchildren, and I want them, again. and I want them to have a wonderful life, and I have had a wonderful, blessed life, and I want those kids to have the same thing that I had, and we cannot give up. You just have to keep fighting. Have to. All right, Karen, the good one.
Uh, thank you for your time. Uh, we are at the end here. So tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you, uh, maybe the social media and any other events you have coming up, including one Saturday. Yeah, it's just, uh, just our Substack is tncss.substack.com. The website is tncss.weebly.com. You can find the legislation on the website. There's a contact form on the website. You can contact me and I get back right away. And I have a personal Substack that I put out seven days a week, covers everything except TNCSS. And that's karenbracken.substack.com. Excellent. Well, thank you. And I hope to have you on again sometime. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hi everyone, I'm Lauren Conlon and I'm an independent entertainment and true crime reporter and you are listening to the Mill Creek View podcast. It's the one you, uh, you know, it, it's kind of interesting, Steve. Um, the song, what's that? Morgan Waller. Yes. Um, the one that's been going through my head, though, is the next one where Tennessee Whiskey, right. no I can't. No spoiler alerts. No spoiler alerts. Well, I can't get Welcome. rid of it. It just runs through my head. I, just... I know, I know. Welcome to the Steve and Steve segment of our show. Please, Steve, what do you think of our guest, Karen Bracken? Oh, it's wonderful, and uh, I am going to cite that website. Uh, she might be somebody I'll have to bring on my own show. Um, it is so cool. There are some people that are organized around understanding our Constitution and understanding our rights. And <clears throat> I'm reading a book, or I should say the book's sitting in a stack for me to read, about the power that we, the people, because we, the people, are the government. The criminals who are in there right now are not the government, and they need to work for us. And we need to take back our role as the government. That's what she's doing here. She's doing it within the Constitution. And, Steve, you and I are the government. We make these decisions. And I'm going to definitely put um, the information about SB 2775 and HB 2795 that will be in the show notes. And, folks, if you're listening to this, please contact your legislators, contact your senators, your House members, and tell them you vote for this. You vote for this. And the language, the language in that bill, you will not in your lifetime see in the state of Washington. So the fact that it even is out there in the ether in the fifty states is a god blessing. So moving on, Donald Trump is currently beating President Biden by nine points among Jewish voters in New York. There's another thing that you never would have thought you'd see. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Washington, <laughs> there is hope. 53% to 44%, according to a new poll from Siena College. The results are pretty remarkable, considering that Jewish voters typically vote overwhelmingly Democratic, particularly in New York. And Trump has not been historically popular among the demographic. The poll does not have enough detail on the group to draw definitive conclusions, but it comes at a time when Jews have witnessed the explosion of anti-Semitism on the left following the October 7th attacks, and when Biden has been increasingly hostile toward Israel's effort to use force to defend itself. 
giving credence to what I've been saying all along, the guy's pissing off every single one of his constituents <laughs> that has been built over the last 100 years by the Democratic Party. Biden's turn against Israel and unwillingness to combat anti-Semitism on his side has been accompanied by reports suggesting that Democratic operatives are concerned that Muslim voters staying home could cost him Michigan. But little focus has been put on what happens to his standing if he abandons Israel in pursuit of Muslim voters. Are there more Israelis or people in favor of Israel in America or more Muslims in favor of America? While Jews are heavily concentrated in states that are not expected to be competitive, New York, New Jersey, Maryland, California, and Florida, even states that are non-competitive at the presidential level have congressional districts that will be hotly contested. Furthermore, there are proportionally more Jews in the swing state of Pennsylvania, 3.3%, than there are Muslims in Michigan, about 2.4%. Liberals can't do math. Also, the broader U.S. public says it supports Israel over Hamas by a 4 to 1 margin. Why do you think that is? I, I didn't quite hear that. What was that last part you said? The broader U.S. public says it supports Israel over Hamas by a 4 to 1 margin. Uh, it's just because it's the way our American, most Americans think. And uh, I, I'm not, to be honest, I'll be a devil's advocate. I'm not too worried about the Muslim vote. But I think I think there's a deeper, I think there's something deeper going on here, Steve. I don't think it's just what's going on in Israel and Palestine right now. I think people are finally recognizing that during the last three years, the Jews in New York got smashed, as everybody else did. They lost all their rights. They lost everything and they're not getting any relief and i think a lot of people the liberal the side of liberals they're going holy smokes i took three shots and i almost died what what's going on here i think a lot of people steve it's a much broader spectrum of people are just going this is insanity we've got a guy in there that doesn't even know who he is we need to bring back a semblance of 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 somebody who can at least talk for us and i think whether it's yeah. the jews or even the muslims I'll be honest, I have a friend who works in the um, sales industry, and he meets Muslims every day who own shops, and they are all voting for Trump. That the fact is, people, and they used to vote Democrat. I think in the I've black... i saying since the beginning that they don't like this LGBT CRT. No! They left, their, that... they left their former country for that, just like the Cubans left Cuba for Florida to find freedom that the left is not granting them. So let me just finish this article. All the more reason to believe that Biden's betrayal of Israel is bad politics as well as bad policy. A CNN poll recently asked how motivated Americans were to vote in the election. Republicans, out of power and eager to gain it, were more likely to say extremely motivated. A Yahoo News slash YouGov poll asked voters last fall about their attitude towards the 2024 election. 39% of Democrats picked exhaustion from the list of sentiments offered, a close second to dread. Just 26% of Republicans chose exhaustion. That was from Phil Klein. He's the editor of National Review Online. I think this election is going to be an eye-opener for a lot of people. Uh, justices declined to intervene in another dispute over race and school admissions by Amy Howe, the Supreme Court of the United States blog. In a statement released on Tuesday morning, a lawyer representing the challengers expressed disappointment with the court's decision not to take up their case. The Supreme Court missed an important opportunity to end race-based discrimination in K-12 admissions, 
said Joshua Thompson, an attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation. Discrimination against students based on the race is not only ethically wrong, but also a clear violation of the Constitution's guarantees of equal protection. Less than a year after decision striking down the admissions programs at Harvard and University of North Carolina as unconstitutional on the grounds that they explicitly considered an applicant's race as part of their admissions process, and by the way, that race was the Asian race, another constituency very angry. Yes. Uh, the justices rejected a request to weigh in on a challenge to an admission policy at a pre- pre- prestigious public magnet school in Virginia. Ground zero for this tossing over the school board situation that does not take race into account directly, but instead considers socioeconomic factors in allocating some of the school's 550 seats. The challengers, a group of parents and alumni, angry, contended that the policy was created to reduce the number of Asian American students who had previously received nearly three out of four offers of admission. Justice Samuel Alito dissented from the court's decision not to take up the case. In an opinion joined by Justice Clarence Thomas, Alito, these two are solid. Alito contended that the ruling by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit upholding the admissions policy had been based on a patently incorrect and dangerous understanding of what a plaintiff must show to prove intentional race discrimination. And he called the Fourth Circuit's reasoning, well, get this, a virus that may spread if not promptly eliminated. Wow. In a 10-page opinion, Alito was sharply critical of the Fourth Circuit's decision characterized it characterized it as holding in essence that intentional racial discrimination is constitutional as long as it is not as it is not too severe because Asian American applicants still were admitted at a rate that exceeded their representation in the applicable pool. But such a rule, Alito suggested, would effectively allow government officials to discriminate against any racial group with impunity as long as that group continues to perform at a higher rate than other groups, an indefensible position in Alito's view. Should have been unanimous. Alito describes his colleagues' willingness to swallow the apparent decision, abhorrent decision below, as hard to understand. We should wipe the decision off the books, Alito concluded, and because the court refuses to do so, I must respectively dissent. In his opinion for the court, Chief Justice John Roberts warned that schools should not try to do an end run around the court's decision through application essays or other means. He stressed that what cannot be done directly, the consideration of an applicant's race, cannot be done indirectly. Um, after considering the case at five consecutive conferences, the justices on Tuesday turned the challengers down without explanation. They never quit, do they? You know, Steve. States- a little insight into the Asian mindset is a lot of Japanese schools are very high-ranked, very, very difficult to get into, especially their universities. And so a lot of individuals, a good friend of my wife's and I is from Japan. She both, she and her husband came here. They could not get into the university there, and they're highly intelligent individuals. They went to Wharton. Okay, Wharton is not a shabby school it's one of the top performing schools and they got in there and i know here in the northwest we have edmonds community college we have the university of washington and it has a huge influx of pacific uh rim individuals that come here to go to school and then they go back my neighbor has she has a open for um uh 
college kids to stay at her home, and then they go back. And one of them was just there for a short time doing her nursing thing. She's Japanese, and she's going to go back to California, finish off, and then she'll go back to Japan. So this is a huge issue amongst Asians because you are discriminating against a huge population that comes here for our schooling, and then they go back. They don't stay. They go back to their countries and apply what they've learned. And you're saying, oh, no, we need to bring in someone who doesn't have the brain w- bandwidth just to meet a quota? That's not right, Steve, if, if you know what I'm saying. I do. Thank you for saying it. Stay tuned for my thoughts of the day. Hi, my name is Jonathan Mast, brother of Marine Corps Major Joshua Mast, and you are listening to Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. That is a great song. Time for my quote for the day. Before I share, I'll remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View Podcast. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes, search for Mill Creek View, and hit the subscribe button. I really hope you like it. Um, and you can join the conversation at Mill Creek View on Twitter and Facebook anytime. I am here, by the way, I forgot to say, at NRB in Nashville at the Opry Land Hotel. Um, enjoying a three-day event where all the Christian communicators get together share notes, pass around business cards, get movies made, um, ink all kinds of wonderful deals and make some new friends. And so I'm thrilled to be here. I'll be here again tomorrow. I'll show up here again tomorrow. And hopefully my battery won't be threatening to die while I'm in the middle of it. Um, all right, clip number one, please. Reagan speaks on big government, high taxation, and the war on poverty. He addresses foreign policy issues, including the risk of appeasement, peace through strength, and the Vietnam War. The speech establishes Reagan as an important figure in the conservative wing of the Republican Party. Oh, hold on, Steve. Um, Hold on. I'm having uh, some technical difficulty on my hand. No, 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 no. Hold on here. I'm trying to get, get the Reagan clip. Oh, my system's locked out. Can do. I can do the folks. Yeah, go ahead, please. I my system's locked out. All right, can't hear that. Hopefully, I'm not locked out. I demand a just transition, unbound by race, culture, class, or country. Because if we want peace, if we want justice, it takes just us. Climate activist Sar Amir during the International <laughs> Peace Day Youth Observance at the UN demanding action for peace at the SDGs through poetry, music, photography, fashion, gaming, and activism. The SDGs aren't just a list of goals. They carry the hopes, dreams, rights, and expectations of people everywhere. UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez speaking at this year's SDG Summit, where world leaders adopted a declaration to accelerate action on the global goals at a crucial halfway point for the 2030 Agenda. If you don't take corrective action now, you will have to tell us where you have been keeping all of your scientific research to relocate you and your families to the planet Mars or Pluto. 
Barbados Prime Minister Mia Botman at the Climate Ambition Summit calling out the absurdity of climate inaction from the transportation, fossil fuel, and financial sectors given decades of insider industry knowledge on global warming's devastating impact, as well as their outsized roles in contributing to greenhouse gas emissions. The United States seeks a more secure, more prosperous, more equitable world for all people because we know our future is bound to yours. Let me repeat that again. We know our future is bound to yours and no nation can meet the challenge of today alone. U.S. President Joe Biden addressing world leaders during the annual debate at the U.N. General Assembly, explaining his administration's renewed support for multilateral cooperation and international institutions such as the U.N. <laughs> uh, can we do clip two or three or no? No, I'm locked out. All right. Well, that is it for this episode. Thank you, Karen Bracken, for standing up for states' rights. One person can make a difference. But many hands make light work, so help is appreciated. That's it for today. And for now, I am your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us. See you all tomorrow. Peace in our time and definitely glory to God. I don't know if there's going to be some closing music, but I had a good time. Thank you, TVCN.TV, for letting us go live. county fair They were looking for America behind every turn Flying the very colors that so many love to burn I'll cruise the countryside with my dad and my brother Row after row of cotton and corn Moving through this place just like Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.